0: Welcome back to Imago Gay, a podcast dedicated to the value of Imago Day because equality and dignity of LGBTQ lives matter. This week we have spiritual care provider Roxanne Del Valle along with me, Kendra Snow, And we are discussing the topic of dead weight, which mm. this is our last prequel to the Redefined series, and today, in order to set up the conversation, we will be discussing some anchors that have been holding us back to building a new framework to God and faith. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me.
1: I think I'm a co-host. You are. I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) You might consider this our part four to Journey to Affirming, and we discuss some major theological shifts that we've been through. But before we get into that, our sponsors for today... Our Spectrum Magazine, and SDA Kinship International. So if you haven't already, please sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. So starting off, I mean, there are so many things happening in the world. I think it's sometimes hard to tie things down to one specific issue. There is world hunger, there's famine. I mean, there are people who are dealing with the sanctions from the United States that are really suffering. We have the war in Ukraine. There is the loss of women's rights here in our own country. And so, I mean, picking a topic is difficult and to stay on this kind of LGBTQ purview can feel a little bit, you know, are we staying in touch with the most relevant issues that are happening right now? But I think we are. So to kind of start us off, wanted to talk about the fact that I've been watching this show called I Survived a Crime. Oh, I love that show. It's so catchy, so interesting to watch. And I realize like how much camaraderie and community there is in knowing that other people survive the same type of crime that you mm-hmm. did.
1: You know, it's interesting because when I watch I Survived a Crime, I think a lot of the times people pick a side. So for example, people have a short time frame to make an assessment where
0: their allegiance might lie. It's, it is interesting. And one thing I've been thinking about is I've never framed my experience within the LGBTQ community of being fired on the basis of my sexuality to be a crime. But like, you know, let's not, let's not mince words here, right? Because Firing someone because they are LGBTQ is a crime. Now, just because this is a church-sanctioned crime that for some reason the law can't reach in there and do something about it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it wasn't a crime to begin with. And I think for me to say, actually, I survived a crime (laughs) because that's honestly what it has felt like. Over the last year, it has literally felt like I survived a crime, but I have some statistics for you in a minute here about crime rates and the amount of people that are brought to justice. But I think a lot of people in the LGBTQ community who are fired on the basis of sexuality, gender identity, or they have to be excluded, they are survivors of a crime. Yeah.
1: The other day, so we're getting to that place where we have to do our HR stuff again and... Our trainings. And I was just so aware of how little you have to do in order to kind of violate these statues within a company, especially around somebody's identity, whether that be their race or their age or anything really core to their identity. There are these protections. So it is obvious to me that it's more than just unfair. It's criminal. Yeah. You know, having somebody lose their livelihood and the way that they, I mean, for you, the podcast, is, it, it wasn't just an income, it was a passion project. So the loss, I think, is compounded, not only because it meant just kind of this exclusion from the community. I mean, the relationships that you had, even among those people who were collaborating with you and who were guiding you, providing that opportunity for you. But then there are these layers. Layers, yeah. And then you get to the most basic layer, which are your rights, you know, as a human being. And you can't you can't disassociate the the
0: love from the hate. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. And it's something that's been like validating for me to say just because there are so many people who do not get justice. Like in like, even when it comes to like murder cases, how about this? How about this statistic? okay, I'm gonna throw throw this in here there are in the United States, there are over two hundred thousand unsolved murders and missing person cases. Seven thousand unsolved murders are go oh sorry, there are seven thousand unsolved murders each year, which is about half of all murders go unsolved. Wow, so what. Uh, Half of all murders go unsolved. So for half of the people out there I'm, I'm sorry, but victims, every
1: TV show
0: that I've ever seen right. tells me <laughs> they I always could catch never them. get away with murder. <laughs> <laughs> you have a 50-50% chance. <laughs> Your eyes are looking good. <laughs> it's like the hair, the little fiber,
1: the... Yeah. Fingerprint.
0: I don't know how they do it, but the blood stain.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's like there's no way to escape all the evidence, apparently.
0: Apparently, but But fifty percent. Fifty percent in the United States. And that's not even to to add to that number, like the general amount of crimes that go unsolved, theft, raped. How about this? Two out of every three rapes go unreported. So already sixty-six percent of rape cases are going unsolved or not being brought to justice or prosecution because they're not even reported. Yeah. And then in New York, which is a statistic that I found 60% of those cases that were reported went unsolved in 2020. That is insane. So we're looking That's at That's sad. It is sad. And it it's sad. And so, you know, what I'm seeing here is like, there is a community of people mm-hmm. who crimes happen to, where they're never brought to justice, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's not a culprit that you can pin and say, this person did this, bring them to court, and that person serve them at of jail time or get a fine or whatever. Like, looks like the majority of crimes that happen in the United States are not getting solved and someone is not being brought to justice. And that, to me, I guess, is just the realization that there are so many people who are living in this space of like, did a crime even occur because there's nobody accountable Mm -hmm. And then the situation where LGBTQ people are being discriminated against in the church, you know, like, even though that's a much smaller (laughs) crime than murder, there is something criminal about discriminating against someone based on their identity. And there is an emotional impact from Mm -hmm. that. And just because there isn't somebody brought to justice or there's not anybody being held accountable doesn't mean a crime wasn't committed because in another circumstance where this wasn't the church... This was, you know, some company, there would be some accountability.
1: Yeah, I'm very fortunate to work among interfaith chaplains from different backgrounds. And the people that have a lot of love and acceptance, a high regard for equity and social justice concerns, cannot fathom that this still happens. Right. You know, and I live in Boston, maybe that's also a, a factor. But it just seems like, does that still happen? Is that even still allowed that people are kicked out of their Mm -hmm. churches and can lose their jobs
0: for loving somebody else? It just seems bigoted. Exactly. (laughs) And it's so interesting. And, And the only reason I want to harp on this is because we're going to talk a little bit about cognitive dissonance today and those tensions that at some point have to be resolved. But one thing I wanted to point to is like, over the course of my life, many crimes have happened to me, right? <laughs> Theft, domestic violence, stalking, sexual harassment, right? Like these are crimes that have happened, but nobody necessarily was brought to justice. And I don't necessarily define my life by these incidences that have happened, but it definitely creates a perspective and a worldview, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, how could I not that these things can happen to you and around you and nobody's held accountable? What does that tell your system about how the world works and mm. how safe you are?
0: Yeah. And I think there has been also this internalized sense of shame that has come with... I hate that. Mm. I hate that so much.
1: It's true. it happens so often right. that somebody is the victim of a sexual... Advance or some inappropriate behavior, and somehow they're the ones to feel ashamed of yeah. who they are and who carry these secrets for other people. Like, because bringing a, to the, light is just too tainting, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, the people who commit these crimes and who violate us walk around with no shame, their ego intact, you know, things happen right. in the dark. And they stay in the dark for them. Right. It's absolutely true. And it's one of those things that I...
0: No, I, yeah. it's even
1: more than that. Because yes. some men are celebrated for the crimes that they commit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, we have a culture that perpetuates some of the crimes against women in particular. Thank
0: goodness Andrew Tate is no longer on social media <laughs> <laughs> promoting that culture. But, like, yeah, I think definitely... This is what I've done often. I've often felt shame, internalized the act, downplayed it, didn't really speak about it, went about in survival mode and just being like, I'm okay, right? Like, and honestly, honest to God, right now I'm in a good space in my life. I've got a good job. I got a great work-life balance. I am vacationing all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I am not deprived in any regard. And there is a temptation for me to finally say, ah, I'm finally above it. You know, like I've moved beyond this crime. Right? Mm-hmm. I've moved beyond its effect upon me. And now I can just move on. And while I think that there's something very healthy about that, I also think that there's something that is very much a pattern of mine to just ignore it. Mm-hmm. And so to say, okay... I can't ignore it. I can't put a bow on it. I can't just always do that to things that happen because it is sending a wrong message to my system and there will be a disconnect between how I even empathize with other people's pain, right? That I just end up doing the same thing to them. I say, well, just let's move on, right? Like, let's focus on the good. Let's get out of here. Yeah. yeah.
1: I want to add to that because part of the training that goes into Providing spiritual care is really having a keen awareness of your baggage. You know, what do you come into the dynamic with? But it boils down to understanding what is going on within you. Because depending on how resolved or how aware you are, then you can intentionally engage with somebody else. So, for example, if I lost... A relative very young. And the way I coped with it was kind of just celebrating that they lived and never really thinking about them again, you know, mm. just kind of burying it. Well, it might be that I have a problem engaging grief, right? Mm. And not to say that there are various coping mechanisms and there's not a one size fits all. But let's say that was my case that I just had trouble engaging grief it would be impossible for me to walk somebody through the path of engaging grief when I don't even know what that looks like. Right. I haven't put in the work. So I might be very tempted to turn away from that kind of conversation when that person might in fact really need to engage their grief in that moment. Right. And so now I'm hindering their process and their coping. Yeah, But unless I'm aware of what's happening internally, I can't begin to untangle,
0: you know. And it's one of those things, too, where there are people who operate at a certain level. Some people, they operate at the level of engaging their anger all the time or they yeah. operate at a level Of engaging their sadness all the time, Mm -hmm. right? I think there's a difference between that and like dealing with someone who is actually going through a moment of grief. All of us have kind of a mode of operandi and what we're most used to engaging with. And sometimes we do need to switch it up. I think I can be very good at matching someone, right? If you wanna go into grief, let's talk about it. If you wanna go into your anger, I'm ready for you. If you want to go into happy silliness, let's go there. Mm -hmm. But I don't often think about what do I need in this moment? Like, what are the catharsis that I need? And maybe that's a part of being a part of a community. Like everybody brings a bit of that emotion that you need to match, right? Right. And it helps you to exercise it. But in a place where I'm not engaging with my community as much, I have to think, what do I need right now? Am I not engaging sadness? Or do I need to engage in joy? Mm -hmm. When I think about doing these podcasts, I'm always trying to think, what does my body need right now? And sometimes I do need an escape plan. I need to plan my 20, 30 year into the future. And sometimes I do need to engage with the fact that, man, you are a victim of a crime. Not that that defines you, but that happened.
1: Yeah, I think just being able to name things like to really validate your experience of it. And rather than running away from it, engaging with it through whatever channel, right? Like engaging sadness or through anger or through even joy. There might be a sense of gratitude that that happened because now it has propelled you into a different space in your life. So the channels can be very different. That's what emotions are. You know, they're just messages from the body, that really help us to give language and understanding and a channel to process in a very physical, emotional, mental... I mean, it incorporates all of it, right? You're, yeah. it's, a, it's a soul expression. So it's, it's nothing negative. The problem is when these emotions are out there and we have no idea what they're trying to communicate. When we have no self-awareness of what's going on, what it is that we're carrying. When when our mind has completely checked out out of the heart (laughs) and there is just such a disconnect between what you're feeling and what you're telling yourself you should feel or what you're feeling and experiencing and what you're able to comprehend. Like sometimes I've had conversations where the person doesn't even know why they're crying, but they can't stop it. And we're having a very clear, comfort. I'm having clarity as an outsider. Maybe they are sad, <laughs> but maybe, like you said, they're just so used to operating out of their anger that this causes confusion. And what we don't acknowledge within ourselves, what we don't name, what we're not aware of, will not, not manifest itself. We just won't have a mind, body, heart connection.
0: All right, we are halfway through our episode. We're going to take a small break, and if you'd like, you can take a deep breath. Okay, let's get back into it. And that's what we're going to talk about today is that cognitive dissonance. By definition, it means that your beliefs and your actions do not align. And for example, and this is one that I looked up on the internet, I was like, okay, I believe smoking is bad, but I smoke. Okay, well, either your belief has to change and you say, you know what, the science is out. We don't really know if smoking is bad for you. And Mm -hmm. so I can continue smoking. Or you change your action. You say, I believe smoking is bad. I'm no longer smoking. <laughs> and if you live in attention, though, it becomes what's called cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Your belief and your actions do not match. And I want to talk about that because as we go into our redefined series, we are going to talk about maybe some of our own cognitive dissonances that we've had between who we believe God is and how we live our life. Or how we believe our life should be lived out in the world? like, Or maybe our belief is changing, but our participation in the community is still the same? I just want to speak. To, okay, I have a very mm-hmm.
1: clear example. So my whole life, I believed that being gay was wrong. I mean, I thought it was completely against God's order for humanity. And... Even if it was temporary, even if this order wouldn't exist in heaven, let's say, or in a new earth, let's say, I still held that it was what God wanted here on earth for this time. Right. And I, you know, I come from a church where that covenant of marriage was as strong as the covenant of Sabbath keeping, and those two were expressed to me as like, they had such gravity to them, like that. this is what it hinges on, you know, that something about those two felt perpetual, like they're designed to be institutions that last forever. So just talking about cognitive dissonance, I'll say my acceptance story has a lot to do with realizing that cognitive dissonance. And maybe I wouldn't have been able to name that, but I certainly got to a point where I had said to God, I've given you six years where I've been completely alone. And I've given you my whole life to change me. And I studied the Bible and I went to seminary and I I did it the way I was supposed to. And there have been moments where I feel transformed and only to realize that, oh, there was just moments where I wasn't feeling a connection to any particular person of my same gender. So when I got to the point where I was here, again, feeling like, oh, there's this thing that's alive. It hasn't really gone away. I think I've put in the time and giving you the opportunity to transform me. I have done everything that I can do to change myself and to give you the opportunity to change me. And nothing has happened. So... I cannot be held accountable to this standard anymore until it finally makes sense in my brain. Because there has been no good argument for me. Um, No convincing argument. I have just acted upon a principle handed down to me. And even though I've never fully understood it, I have subscribed to it the best that I could. And I have kept on returning to you and giving you the opportunity to change me. But now... Now that we're still here and that I've given all these years, now I really do need a logical, reasonable thing that I can hold on to. I yeah. cannot just keep acting upon something I don't
0: actually believe is yeah. wrong. That the container of belief has become too small. It has. And it's not, no longer fitting what's going on in your body, what's going on in your experiences, what's going on in your life.
1: Listen, if I was really convinced... You know, because every explanation ever given to me about why heterosexuality is not only the ideal, but the only allowed kind of relationship for marriage, I had all these questions to follow up. Yeah. And no matter if it was my family or the pastor or my colleagues or whoever it was that I was engaging those questions with, before my curiosity or my understanding had been satiated, I was met with such anger and such resistance that I, I decided to pause because I didn't want to risk my standing in my relationship with these people. Yeah. So my mind was never really like convinced, but I was acting upon the principle still. And I think, I think there's a problem with that kind of pattern.
0: Yeah. As we talk about cognitive dissonance and belief. One thing that I think is interesting is that I think it's difficult to build community surrounded by belief, right? Like if, you know, Seventh-day Adventism is built on a common belief around the 28 fundamentals, it really discourages curiosity because it doesn't allow for belief to change, right? If your beliefs begin to shift, if you begin to question, the price of that questioning, like you were saying, is that you will lose your community. You will be ousted out of the church, right? So there's not really a lot of encouragement to be curious because the cost of curiosity is so high. Yeah, and belief is just such a mental
1: exercise mm-hmm. too, right? I have a hard time with dividing the the soul into all these different parts So that only certain parts really have to subscribe to something and and other parts get ignored. I think, you know, there just has to be integrity of what your thoughts are, what your emotions, even if you don't give way to every single emotion and every single thought and every single impulse to do something, there has to be an alignment between who you are as a person And I think you can't do that when you're shutting off parts of yourself.
0: Oh, yeah. Like if you have a belief about, you know, sexuality and it's wrong, but then you're acting out on it on the side, but then you try and pendulum back to, I think it's wrong. You become two different persons, right? You become the person who believes this is wrong and a celibate and is not gay. (laughs) Then you have the person who is acting out on what they feel in their body because you can't. You can't shut off that part of yourself. Your mind just becomes compartmentalized, but you are still a whole human being. You just become two different people.
1: And that splitting, I think, is toxic internally, but sure. inevitably has a impact on... The people around you, on relationships. The larger community. Exactly. exactly. So I'm a firm believer that whatever happens in your internal self and maybe even what happens within your family, in your home, has direct repercussions of very serious consequences for the community at large.
0: It's interesting, you know, when I think about, as we move forward to kind of redefine some things, I do want to open up this platform for there to be a community not necessarily centered on belief, but on common values. I think, especially in Christianity, where we have this Emphasis within the religion is to believe on Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And inevitably, the gospel becomes interchangeable with belief and this striving that we must all be on the same page about certain issues and what's important and these other common values that really would create rich ground for friendship, for relationship. We say, well, this isn't good enough soil. Like, we have to actually believe all the same. And I want to break
1: that down because it might not be so distinguishable for everybody,
0: right? Absolutely. In fact, you know, I was thinking about this. I had this friend that I met at a coffee shop and she was, I think she was reading Dallas Willard and I was like, oh cool, tell me about your book, blah, blah, blah. I knew that she was a Christian and anyway, but I remember over the course of our friendship, we would try and find these, these common grounds to talk about and I was really in a place where I'm really exercising. How do I build friendship on other commonalities other than just believe? Like this is too small, right? Adventism is too small to only let that be your circle. And I remember she started telling me about this really radical end time scenario that she believed was going to happen. And it was a huge robot in Jerusalem. It was just, wow, this is very interesting. And I remember being so angry at her (laughs) because I was just so convinced that I understood how the end times were going to play out. And I was like, this is not how it happens. Ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) And I were walking away and she had texted me, did I do anything to offend you? And I was like, no, I am just being a complete jerk right now. (laughs) And I don't know why I was so uptight about how the end times were going to play out. And and I just... You just couldn't have a relationship with her in that anymore. Month. I couldn't. I cut her off. I said, you're done. <laughs> and I had to come to myself and be like, okay, this is dumb. We have a good friendship. We go on hikes. We talk about all kinds of stuff. Even though there are a million things we do not agree about theologically. Isn't that ridiculous to base relationship
1: on how you agree about something you believe?
0: I, I'm in a place right now where I don't even want to talk religion, even with other Christians. And I'm not even trying to be I'm just being honest because it's too triggering for me. I have spent three years at a seminary getting all the answers. I I freaking know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> at least I feel like I do. And it's so tempting to want to give answers or to be in a theological debate, or to, like, yeah. let's talk about whose worldview is right and whose is wrong. And I feel like I have
1: I have the answers.
0: am I and I, have I know
1: to- <laughs> the other day, I was talking to a couple of friends and just had the weirdest moment of having that wait. no, I have the right answer to this theological debate. right. And just holding myself back and just like, it's not. This is not what my
0: relationship is based on. Exactly. And I have had to be like, I'm not talking religion with (laughs) y'all. I'm an MDF graduate who does not talk religion. Yeah, And that is the weirdest thing to me because I feel like I could, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to debate people. I I don't want to wrestle your belief down and say, I gotcha. It's just not even fun. It's not. It's you walk away feeling Right. I walk away feeling like, am I the a hole here? <laughs> you know, like,
1: <laughs> and the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, and and it's it's so much better to connect over. Well, I'm not putting judgment on talking about really important sure. topics, but you know, I found as somebody who has finally given themselves the permission to not use every conversation as <laughs> a moment to win you to Jesus. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, to to really like find connection over you know common values not e- not even common values sometimes you know it's it's refreshing to just have it be simple enough where we treat people with kindness we can talk about more existential things without getting to the nitty gritty talk uh, yeah. about death we can talk about forgiveness we sure. can talk about hope and there's a lot of commonality and shared experiences that I think is more key and foundational to any kind of relationship than any cognitive kind of like, we agree on this. It's it's just not the way connection works. Connection happens in a different part of your brain. So emotions happen in a different part of your brain than reason. And sometimes even with like mental illness, the reason part can go offline but the emotion part is still activated. That's not something that's lost. So I am in conversations with people at a very acute time or very critical time, let's just call it an episode, and still be able to connect with them. Why is that? How how can a connection really exist without us Without reason, right? Without reason. Yeah. And how can I carry a conversation that feels meaningful, impactful, touching even to me with a healthy brain? And I can walk away feeling connected to this person. How mm. how can that be if, if connection only relies on belief? Exactly. But we've made yeah. it that way in church, right? Absolutely. That the only way to connect with us, the only way you can join this crowd yeah. is if you subscribe to these 28 things. And, I, and yeah. don't question it. You're going to make me mad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have literally had to give myself permission to be part of the human race. Yeah. Right to say I am human and I want to join in with my other fellow humans and all of the variety of those experiences and yeah, you know, I think maybe in the future I might engage with religion. I think there is wisdom in how Jesus asked questions. Yeah. <laughs> And didn't really have a lot of answers, but had a lot of great questions for people, right? That helped them arrive to answers. And I think that part of me, that part of my wisdom is something I have to grow up and grow out. But at this point, it is too triggering to want to build community on belief. So like you're saying, finding other factors to build on so that when we talk about belief, when we talk about redefining things like salvation faith born again in a much more integrated way in a way that considers god and humanity simultaneously that there isn't so much trigger like there's not so many triggers because we're building relationship on a foundation that can handle a variation of belief and that that doesn't threaten the viability that's here so much for listening to this episode of Amago gay if you'd like to follow our co-host spiritual care provider roxanne del valle you can do so on instagram at roxanne marie or you can follow me at kendra Arsno with an x please stay tuned next week we are beginning officially our redefine series where we are finding a bigger box for a bigger god you can follow our sponsors for today's Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International and be sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created in Engineers by yours truly and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International.